0: Amen. Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome. My name Rob. I'm a pastor here, and I am thankful that you are with us on our third birthday. It's special for us to, that you're here. Let me welcome you if you're visiting today. We're glad that you've joined us, whether you're visiting from uh, far or from near. We're glad that you are here on this third birthday of ours. We're not um, preaching from a special passage, as you can see. We're carrying on in our sermon series on First Peter. But remember, right, First Peter. A letter to a young church. And in this passage, Peter talks to leaders of a young church. In this passage, Peter talks to young people of a young church. So like teenagers, 20-somethings. Peter talks to you. And there are warnings and instructions in here for us um, that we would do well to listen to if we want to grow into the kind of church that God desires. So let's pray and then let's dive in. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, by your Spirit, open our eyes. Give us us ears to hear of the hope that we have in Christ. Father, wherever we're coming from this morning, each and every one of us needs to see Jesus. So by your Spirit and for your glory, may we see him. We remember, God, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, Lord, it lasts forever. Amen. Amen. All right, we're here at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 5, and in these verses, Peter talks about power and authority and where it rests in the life of the church. And let me just ask you, think about recent church history here in America and think about power and authority in the life of the church. What comes to mind? Unfortunately, there might be some things that come to mind that cause us great discouragement. Maybe power and authority in the life of the church, powerful figures, well-known figures like Robbie Zacharias come to mind. And you know, uh, many of you would know of the tragic news we've heard about him and his life and his failures. Maybe when you think about power and authority in the life of the church, some of your minds go to a certain podcast, Right? The Rise and Fall of Morris Hill, a certain podcast that really traces the life of one particular church and the use or misuse of authority and leadership in the life of that church. That podcast um, is fascinating and devastating, right? I I would encourage you to listen to it, not so that, uh, you know, kind of voyeuristically you can look in and see, wow, look at that church. It's really messed up. You know, glad we're not there. But to look at it and, and humbly realize um, the same brokenness that existed in leaders there exists in leaders here, right? The, uh, we need grace to save us from that. We, we listen to that podcast and it drives us to cling to the words that we're about to study here in 1 Peter and say, God, may we live in light of these and save us from ourselves. Power and authority in the life of the church Unfortunately, some of you don't need news headlines and podcasts um, to teach you about um, narcissistic leaders that can bring pain into your life, right? Like you've known full well the pain that you can experience in the life of churches and from Christian leaders. Some of you know that story. I, I know that story. Those stories haven't made the headlines, but they've brought disillusionment to us and broken hearts. And at the same time, most of us probably know the difference it can make to have a humble, godly servant leader show up in our life. Right? Again, those stories don't make headlines either, but when a, when a humble, godly servant shows up in our life and cares for us, shepherds us, we know what a difference it can make. So, so this, this morning as a young church, how do we hope to avoid the, the misuse and abuse of, of power? Like... You know, I'm trying to to figure out how do we avoid this situation where Patrick, right? Like in 15 or 20 years from now that he's not sitting down in front of a a microphone doing a podcast, right? Or he's, he's not going live in the metaverse or whatever it is. And he's talking about the dysfunction and manipulation he experienced here as the years went on. How do we avoid that? Well, we listen to God's word right here. We listen to these five verses and say, God, would that be so among us? Peter gives instructions about this humble leadership that should be present at Capitol Press Fairfax. He speaks to a number of things about leadership. He speaks to its structure. He speaks to its purpose, its heart, and its blessing. Its structure, its purpose, its heart, and its blessing. That's what we're going to make our way through this morning. He speaks to its structure. In verse 1, he's speaking... He's just been talking about suffering, all right. He's been talking about how do we navigate suffering and, in some counterintuitive way, find a way to rejoice in suffering. He's been speaking to the whole church, and then he zeroes his attention in on a few people. All right, read what it says there in verse one at the beginning. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow as a fellow elder. So talking to the whole church, and then he starts talking to these people called elders. So I want to talk to you guys. All right, now the word elder there, the Greek word for elder is presbyteros. That's where we get the name Presbyterian from. If you're ever wondering, like, where does that come from? It comes from that Greek word. And that word speaks to the structure of our church, where power and authority resides in the life of our church. It's our church government. All right, I have just mentioned a Greek word. I have just talked about church government. And some of you are like, all right, it's official. We have taken the off-ramp to Boring Town. Here we go. <laughs> like, um, and I know that because in our new members class, we talk about this. And every single time in new members class, when we talk about church government, I just start seeing people's eyes glaze over, right? Like, say, like, can we talk about worship or student ministry, missions? But like, I would rather sew my head to the carpet than talk about church government, right? Like, that's the look on people's face. And this is what I say to them in our membership class, and this is what I'll say to you right now. Um, Conversations about church government are are boring until they're not, right? Um, They're boring until abuse shows up in the life of the church, until manipulation shows its face, until money's involved, until there's teaching that starts to drift from what the Bible says, until lives go off the rails, until a pastor leaves or a pastor has an affair, then all of a sudden church government becomes very interesting and very consequential. So we do well to look at what Peter says about the structure of church power and authority. And he says this, he speaks to the elders, he's referencing them. This is where authority and leadership lies. These are the officers of the church. In First Timothy and Titus, it speaks to the qualifications that they're supposed to have. And yes, there are some skills like you should be able to teach, but the vast majority of qualifications have not to do with what they're to do, but who they are, how they live and how they love. And has the gospel and their connection to Jesus Christ transformed the way that they live their lives? Notice, too, that Peter doesn't say elder, he says elders, plural, all right? And that points to this reality that in the New Testament, every time we see elders reference, when we're talking about the leadership of these churches in the New Testament, it's plural, all right? We, we talk about the plurality of elders. Stay with me now, all right? Don't, don't leave me. The plurality of elders. That simply means that throughout the New Testament, we see that um, there's no place to think that leadership in the church is a cult of personality. That there's this one person, even this one singular elder, that has all the power or all the authority that all others should bow down to. No, we see this plurality of elders. That there are multiple elders in the life of the church that lead and shepherd. So we need to be clear about that. That That's part of our structures. We don't find this stuff typically exhilarating, but it is very important. Our Presbyterian structure brings accountability and collaboration. It means our elders share the burden and privilege of shepherding together. They're not alone. We don't see Jesus sending people alone to lead and shepherd. He sends them together. So that's the structure. But also our elders, um, the, the, the leadership and authority, all of this has a purpose. It has an end, and we see it in verse 2 and 3. Uh, Peter says, hey, elders, you're called to shepherd the flock, to exercise oversight, to be an example. So, elders, this morning I, I am talking to you, All right, and I'm talking to myself. Right, I am an elder as well in the life of our church. Future elders, I'm talking to you. All those who sit under the authority of elders, I'm talking to you this morning. You should know what to expect from your elders. Job number one, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Kids here this morning, have you ever seen sheep? Have you ever been around sheep? They're cute. They're cuddly. They're also, they, what's the nicest way to see this? They require a lot of care, all right? (laughs) And that's the shepherd's job. Uh, on the farm or in the church, the shepherd's job is to know and to feed and to lead and to protect the flock. That's, that's what shepherds do. So shepherds need to know the flock. Our elders at our church at Capitol Press, Fairfax and McLean, they're expected to know the members of the church. In fact, we have this system. Let me pull back the curtain a little bit for you, all right? Um, Our elders, all of them are connected to the flock either through community groups or what we call independents, those that aren't in community groups. So if you're a member of our church, you are connected. You have an elder that's supposed to, to shepherd you, all right? And so you should know them either because you're an independent and you've been connected to them or you're in a community group and your community group is connected to an elder. So question for you here this morning, do you know your elder? Does your elder know you? All right? If you don't know the answer to that question, come speak to me or Chelsea or others after church. We'd love to help you get connected. Email us and we will help you get um, connected. That's why membership is important too, all right? I'm not going to give a membership talk, but that's why it's important. It connects you to this leadership and shepherding structure in the life of our church. Why? Because when all hell breaks loose in your life, elders are there to walk with you and walk beside you and point you to Jesus, right? When you come up across this like, confusing part in the Bible and you're like, what in the world does that mean? You can go to your elder and say, hey, can you help me find an answer to this? When you come to this very clear teaching in Scripture and you understand exactly what it means, but you don't know exactly how to apply it to your very confusing political campaign job or your very confusing dating life, Elders are there to say, okay, let's walk through this and think, what does this scripture teach us about your life as a high schooler? Are you lost when you're trying to lead your family spiritually? We've all been there. Elders are there to come alongside you and walk with you. They shepherd us individually and our, our, our elders also shepherd us as a church family on the corporate level it says exercise uh, oversight authority in the life of the church so what does that mean what does that look like it means that hey pastor rob's not the final decision maker right our elders are so when it comes to i don't know issues like covid response we're not sitting around here just doing what rob thinks is best thank the lord all right um But our our elders get together and pray and work with our staff and our volunteers and try to navigate this uh, ministry decisions, budget decisions, ministry partners, all of those things. Our elders get together and not as some kind of corporate board, but as shepherds who care and love and humbly serve the flock, they get together and meet and pray about those things. That's the purpose. It's shepherding. Structure, purpose, the heart. Because Look at, look at First Peter. Look at those verses, 1 through 5. He doesn't just say this is what you do, but he says this is how you do it. Like, sure, there are qualifications you need to have to be a leader and to be an elder. There's qualifications. But here's where Peter gets a little nosy, all right? Like he gets all up in, in your business a little bit because he says, I want to talk about motivations. I want to talk about why you're leading. He says you should do it Willingly. Shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. All right. Like there's no place for leading in the church and being an elder just like out of guilt. Like, well, or like uh, that's the next natural thing. Like I'm in my 30s now. I got a mortgage payment. I'm slightly afraid that I'm filling my tax stuff out wrong. I'm going to get arrested. And I guess this is the season of life where I just become an elder or a church officer. Like that's what you do now. Right? The scripture doesn't speak to that. Right now it's because... um, You do it willingly, not under compulsion, because you've realized all that you've received from Jesus, and out of joy, and out of gratitude, and and out of a love for this flock, you say, okay, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to shepherd, and I'm going to lead, and I'm going to serve. That's that's the motivation there. You do it eagerly, not for shameful gain. Not for shameful gain. You don't pursue leadership for shameful gain. And, And Peter probably has money in mind here, finances, and goodness knows we can see where There's been abuses uh, there in the life of of the church. Um, But money's not the only thing we can be greedy for, right? Like, not only thing we pursue. We could just maybe want to be a leader because we're greedy for attention. Like, I just love people to think... I would love for other people to recognize how awesome I already know that I am, right? Like, that can be a reason for stepping into leadership. Or maybe we just... Maybe we just want inside information. Eh, I just want to be a leader because I'm kind of greedy to know what's going on behind the scenes, and I just want to. Be. Or maybe it's just power and authority. We step into those places so we can get things. Peter says, never step into leaderships for what you can get. It's about what you can give. It's not about trying to arrive at a platform somehow to be seen. We can be well sure of this. No one looked at the shepherds of the ancient world and thought, wow, really want to be one of those? That's great. I really envy their job. He says, don't do it for shameful game. And he says, be an example. Verse 3, be an example. Don't be domineering over those in your charge, but be examples. Uh, domineering. There shouldn't be tyrants in the life of the church and church leadership. But unfortunately, all too often there are. Sometimes ministry can just be this narcissism magnet, right? And it can be a place where people can exercise their power and be a bully. And that just shouldn't be the case. Peter says, be an example. Your godly lives, servant leaderships, that's what it should look like. So if you're here this morning, he's he's speaking to elders. But if you're leading in any way, community group leaders, a board of women, deacons, these questions are a heart check. What's your motives for leading? Are you doing it for what you can get or what you can give? How are you leading? Are you kind of a bully? Are you intimidating? Or are you gentle? Are you shepherding? Um, We'll get to this in a bit. Peter's not uh, calling you to perfection. All right, he... He's well aware that we are broken people and imperfect people. But he is calling us to examine how we lead and why we lead. And he is calling us, by God's grace, to lead in a particular way. But he doesn't just talk to leaders. He also talks to young people. All right, So he's talking to leaders, he's talking to the elders, and then he turns and he goes to the younger people and says, Hey, younger people there in the life of the church, let me have your attention. Teens, 20-somethings. He says... Younger people be subject to the elders. Why why does he do this? Why does he kind of all of a sudden call out the young people and say, hey, heads up, let me call you to be subject to the elders? Because I do think there's this phenomenon. You know, I used to read those verses that talk about the younger people and be like, oh yeah, he's talking to me. All right, he's not talking to me anymore, unfortunately. Um but if you're a younger person, He is talking to you. And I think when I was in the younger generation and those that are there now, and really throughout all of time, there is this tendency... really kind of almost a pride to say like, well, the, the, older, the older crew, the older generation, I'm not sure they know what they're talking about. They really don't get me. They really don't get life. And so I'm going to kind of check out a little bit. Came across this quote from Mark Twain uh, that made me think of that. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. Uh, but when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years, right? Um, Maybe you're here, you're in your 20s, uh, you're a teenager, and you're like, yeah, when I go to church, it just seems irrelevant. It's just kind of backwards. I don't get it. I don't connect with it. And full disclosure, I've been there. I I was there. I can understand that. And I'm sure even that cynicism sometimes is reinforced. When you see leaders that are... uh, that, that are not setting an example of a godly life. When you, when you show up and you're feeling like, hey, these social issues I care about, no one ever talks about those. Um, so I can see where that cynicism would build and, and grow. Uh, I, I want to be um, completely honest and say that, uh, young people, this isn't a perfect church. Our leaders aren't perfect, including this one. But it is only in the church where you're going to hear that you are perfectly loved. So in humility, let me ask you to lean in and stick with us and not to lean out. And and Peter doesn't just talk to the young people. Actually, the next thing he says, okay, all of us, all of you clothe yourselves with humility, right? He's using this language of putting on an apron. All of you are called to be humble, so so older, older generation, when you see the young people disillusioned or disinterested, don't write them off and be like, oh, well, yeah, go ahead, good riddance, right? But put yourself in their shoes and imagine what it's like to be a teenager or 20-something in this day and age and lean in and love them. My prayer is our church family would be marked by humility, right, that, that marrieds and singles would come and, and defer to each other and love each other, that women and men would, would humbly defer to one e- each other, that different people from cultures and ethnicities would come in and, and give each other preference and exercise humility, right? Republicans and Democrats come in and love each other and exercise humility. Virginia fans, Virginia Tech fans, Carolina fans, we're not going to come in here and boast about our victories, all right, in the tournament. We would never do that. Peter says, um, listen, leaders, younger people, all of you, exercise humility. Clothe yourself in humility. Here's a problem, friends. We're not very good at doing that, right? Like, if we had a default setting in and of ourselves apart from Christ, our default setting uh, is set to pride. We are proud people. And so we struggle to show this kind of humility, right? Peter says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if we're honest, more often than not, we are proud people. And and here's the blessing of leadership. Last point, the blessing of leadership. The blessing in all this, um, the good news in all this, the only hope that we have to be able to live this humble life, to exercise this kind of humble leadership, is the fact that we have a chief Shepherd, right? That's our hope. Our connection to him is our only hope to be able to live this way. Our only hope to to be able to lead and love this way is our connection to the chief shepherd. Again, Peter just talked about being clothed in humility, All right, my imagination has to wonder, when he's talking about being clothed in humility, does he remember his Savior, Jesus, creator and sustainer of all things, wrapping a servant's towel around his waist and bending down before him and washing the dirt off of his feet? That's the chief shepherd. That's what Peter saw and witnessed. Um. Gifts are things that you give on, on anniversaries and birthdays. Uh, when you leave here, you'll get this little gift. It's a it's book of Philippians. Uh, it's got a little kind of journal that goes along with it. Uh, it's one of my favorite books, and this is one of the reasons why it's my favorite, because it talks about our chief shepherd in this way. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, Because you're connected to Jesus, you have this, this mind, this attitude and when he talks about Jesus, he says this, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalt, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth, and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Our chief shepherd humbled himself and gave his life up. If you go back to the beginning of First Peter, you see there, he uses this term, he says, "Listen, elders, I'm talking to you as a, as a fellow elder, a co-elder." That's, that's humility on his part, right? He's an apostle. He could say, hey, listen up. I'm an apostle. Check it out. But he, he humbles himself. Hey, I'm right there with you. And then he talks about this. He says, you guys realize we've witnessed Christ's suffering. We've seen Christ. We know what we have in him. And because we've seen who Christ is and what Christ's done and what we have in him, we can go lead and love this way. That's the only way you're going to do it. Peter knows that's the only way they're going to do it. If they see what they have in Christ. You know, when he calls them to shepherd, when he calls them to shepherd, I wonder if he thinks about how Christ restored him. Remember how Christ restored Peter? Peter the failure, Peter the coward, Peter abandoned Christ, he restores him. And what does he say to him when he's restoring? Peter, do you love me? Of course you love me. Feed my sheep. That's how he restores them. Be a shepherd, feed my sheep. That's what I'm calling you to do. Experience my grace and restoration in such a way and point others to it. Hey, full disclosure, our leaders and elders and deacons and board of women are imperfect people and they're not going to have all the answers. Some of them just heard me say that their job was to walk with you when all hell is breaking loose in your life and they're thinking, I don't know what to tell them then. Well, all they need to do is point you to Jesus. That's what they're to do. That's what you're to do. When you don't know what to do, go to Jesus. Because think about what Peter does in this letter. This whole letter, what does Peter do again and again? He points people to Jesus. In your families, look to Jesus. In your sufferings, look to Jesus. When the government's lost its mind and Nero was bringing down persecution, look to Jesus. When people ask for the reason of the hope that's in you, point them to Jesus. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That we would see our chief shepherd and all that we have in him. And as we love and as we lead and as we grow, we would point people to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. This day and every day you have sustained us you have provided for us, and we pray, save us from distraction, save us from ourselves, save us from corruption and brokenness, save us from making an idol of power or authority or fame or attention. Any of those things, Father, we know that it is within us to pursue those things in ways that you have not designed us for, to try to find life in them that they were never intended to give. And so save each and every one of us from that. I do pray especially for the leaders and officers in the life of our church. Protect them. Help them to taste even this week of the goodness they have in Christ in fresh and new ways. Help them to know how loved they are by you. Not because of anything they've done, but because of what Christ has done. Father, help all of us to know that. And help us to invite our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers, to come and know that as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.